This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, for decades, U.S. companies have relied on China to produce so many goods that are sold here in our country. But with the coronavirus pandemic in play, supply chains has obviously been challenged like never before. And that has some companies maybe thinking about sourcing more products or materials from countries that may be closer. The bigger question might be, could this be a permanent shift? Wharton's Gad Alon, who is, uh, recently wrote an opinion piece for Newsweek on the issue, he joins us to discuss it. Gad is a professor of information operations and decisions at the Wharton School, also director of the Jerome Fisher Program in Management and Technology. Gad, great to talk to you again. Hey, great to be here, Dan. Thank you. And I guess with all of these supply chain issues and obviously the costs that are have been increasing, it's probably not a big surprise that companies might be thinking about other options at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, these trends started well before COVID. Uh, and just like with many COVID, they got accelerated with it. Uh, and, and really the consideration are that, you know, even before uh, Trump, things start to become more expensive from China, right? As, as the quality of life goes up in China, as China becomes more of a consumer of its own goods, then I think the cost is going to go up. Then Trump came and then created the more uncertainty on tariffs and, and more sperm side looking back and, and, and saying, shall we move away from it? So, you know, the, the big countries that enjoy that were Vietnam and Mexico. And then the recent surge in the, right after COVID actually brought even more firms back. In fact, you know, since I, I wrote that piece, um, if you look at, for example, the price of containers, the price from a con- of a container from Shanghai to uh, Rotterdam, for example, went up to a price of, of 6x. To California, to LA, it's almost like 2x, 3x, depending on who you ask. So if you are someone where the cost of shipping is a big part of what you do, if uncertainty is something you want to try to hedge against, it starts to make sense to move closer to home, Mexico, maybe even the U.S. back. So that issue of, uh, of volatility, which you talk about uh, in your opinion piece, is something that is very important to this, uh, to this dynamic here, weather obviously being one of them, obviously the pandemic being another, but there are so many different uh, elements that could provide that level of volatility. Exactly. And, and, and so to some extent, this is really, I think, the, the crux of the matter here. I think many of these things were there before, but I think people tend to underappreciate the impact of, uh, of uncertainty and volatility. One of the people in, in, in this piece says that, that to some extent, you can see where you can get lower margin from China, but this anxiety absolutely kills him. And then when I say anxiety, anxiety is about you know, whether the container is going to get there. So now there are huge shortages of these and sort of long lines in front of the ports in L.A. It's anxiety on whether they can go and visit that country to confirm and validate that the supplier indeed does things what they expect to do. And it's volatility on you know, holiday shipping. It's, it's, vol- it's volatility on so many different aspects. And in my argument is that countries tend to underestimate, and I say countries, I mean administrations, tend to underestimate, right? I mean, just like a few days ago, Europe announced, actually yesterday, that they're going to recommend that uh, people from the U.S. cannot travel into the European Union. That's a level of uncertainty that if you're a supplier that flies back and forth between these, then make sure that your customers are satisfied. 
you just cannot plan even now a month in advance. If you have to think about what's the impact of a container shipping, if, if you're, for example, if you're planning for the holiday for anything related to toys, apparel, or home furniture, I would order it now. You might get it in December to actually a, a, a gift it at that time. This type of uncertainty, if you are in a world where we all try to offer a very good service while maintaining prices low, volatility has a multiplying effect. And the argument I'm trying to make is that decision makers underestimate the impact of uncertainty, not only in the U.S., right? When you look at the lockdown in New Zealand, this lockdown has significant impact. It's essentially killing the economy. Now, for a while, yeah. we thought we can wait a COVID for a while and just once we, everybody was going to be vaccinated, be able to go back to normal. Now we have Delta, then we'll have Eta. Shall we wait until Zeta? So we're, we're, we should start yeah. thinking about creating some type of normalcy where we can actually anticipate where things are going to go, even though we understand we cannot anticipate everything, reducing this level of volatility. Well, and even, I guess, if you take the coronavirus out of play here and all the variants, uh, thinking about the role the government will play, you have to think about regulation and laws and how they may change and and, and be tweaked as as a level of that volatility as well, correct? That's actually was something that happened even, again, as you, as you pointed correctly. It's almost like doesn't it's not related to the variants. Even before that, more and more firms started hiring as part of their supply chain people, hiring lawyers as a way of anticipating new regulations and as a, as a way of anticipating new laws and, and, and how do you navigate all the different regions from NAFTA, so NAFTA was about to shut down until we got the new agreement uh, within the European Union, there are all kinds of agreements there. Um, and, and so you get into the, the fact that as a supply chain manager, you need to start anticipating regime changes. Every regime change is going mm -hmm. to change the way you can actually mobilize things. You see more and more regulation now on cotton being imported from China. How, I mean, firms will have a hard time. If you're a big firm, like you're Amazon or you Walmart, you have lobbying and, lo and lobbyists that actually help you anticipate these and in many ways write these new regulations. If you're a small supplier that's trying to just make the next day, try to deliver the next product, you have no way of anticipating that. And ultimately, you'll see yeah. many of these coming back to the U.S. But if you're talking about the role of government in this, it's somewhat of a, of, a, of, a, of a split argument here in that you have to focus on, especially in this time of the coronavirus, you have to focus on the public health side of this, but you also have to focus on the business side as well. Uh, absolutely. And, and, and that's not like where, where I think is the, like, this is not an easy problem. But I think it would be much, much easier if government will try to commit to some type of normalcy and, and say, you know, when we are going to go above a certain level, we're going to, we'll have to shut it down. But as long as we're below that, we will keep some of the borders open. We'll try to keep yeah. at least allow for a, a good to move back and forth. You see some countries actually doing exactly that, right? Like, for example, the U.S. working with Mexico as a way to vaccinate supply chain workers. One can be very yeah. cynical of why they do that. But this is exactly the type of attempt to try to say we cannot solve COVID, we can stop the economy. How can we find a way to navigate between these two? I'm expecting more governments to try to understand exactly that. 
we, 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 it's a hard problem. There is no question about that. So in the scope of, of, as I mentioned at the top, U.S. companies who've been so reliant on China for production of products or, or you know, gaining materials, what kind of impact does this have on, on China moving forward if you do see more companies starting to pull away from, from doing business there? The trends within China are already for several years. A growth of China as a market rather than as just mere suppliers. So China, with the increase of the middle class, uh, it became a real market for its own product. Uh, in fact, Alibaba claims these days that they do more importing into China than exporting from China, or at least that the tariffs in China, getting into China, impact them more than the tariffs in the U.S. importing from China. So, in fact, we see a big shift here where China becomes a dominant player as a consumer of goods. Some of these are manufactured in China. Some of these are manufactured in other places. China still will remain a dominant, dominant supplier for many of these. But in many ways, if you look at many of these firms in China, I don't think they're impacted that much because the substitution is coming from home and the market is is booming there. Gad, great to have you with us for a few moments. Thank you again for uh, taking the time. It's great to be here again, Dan. Thank you. Gad Alon, who is a professor of information, operations, and decisions at the Wharton School and also director of the Jerome Fisher Program in Management and Technology. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.